things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who has informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me. Just as I also am of Christ. Do all for the glory of God. What does that mean? And how does that apply to me today? How did it apply to this church in Corinth? And, and it's probably one of the greatest statements of Scripture because have you ever sat around and um, I remember growing up before I came to salvation, we all sit around and act really smart. And what is the purpose of life and the meaning of life and all that other stuff that we thought we were being so brilliant about? And basically it can be summarized in verse 31 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. Do all for the glory of God. And Paul is dealing with a church that doesn't have a theological problem. Paul is dealing with a church that has a societal problem. And what I mean by that, the society is having a bigger impact within the walls of the church than the church is having on the society. And here's what happens. And you and I struggle with this. And we'll kind of work it out together this morning. But what happens is, is if as you are raised, as you move through life, as you have the input of grandparents and loved ones or a military service or I went to this college or I didn't go to college or I did this or I didn't have this impact or maybe this experience in my life or maybe this tragedy in my life, it all impacts you and you have methods, learnings, and you could literally call it doctrine by which you exist in. By which you live by. You have training responses on how I respond to this or I don't respond to that or whatever I do. Then comes the divine intervention of God into your life. And it just is just glorious. But then the trouble starts. I had a young lady, she's dating a young man and they're debating um, marriage. They're not debating it. I think they're debating it. But And in the process, they both love the Lord. But the issue of baptism came up. And if baptism, water immersion, doesn't do anything, what's the point? And uh, <laughs> I said, well, be an imitator of Christ. And Christ got baptized. And I said, I'll be honest with you. In my life that I have walked with the king, that was the easiest act of obedience I ever had. <laughs> because it was shortly after my immersion, he started messing with my pride. And then, then it just got ugly. Okay? Baptism was great. I, the only problem with my baptism was that I just didn't go on to glory. I mean, you know, I had to wake up and I've been going at it now for years and years and years. And what happens in that? Well, you realize as a Christian, you have freedom. And that's what Paul has been dealing with beginning actually in chapter 9. You have this freedom. How, in light of this freedom, do I live? Do I live as a Christian? And he's dealing with what some would call the gray areas of Christendom. The things that God isn't, hasn't given us instruction on. He hasn't said, yes, this is good or yes, this is bad. You know, what movies would Jesus watch? What movies does he tell us to or to do not watch? What's well, not in the Bible? What about cars? What about houses? 
Should I buy a big house, a little house, you know, short house, tall house? I don't know. You know, what do you do? What should I do for a living? Where is it in the scripture? It's not in there. Um, you know, head coverings for women, we'll deal with that. It's coming, please. If you just got to know, just hang in there. It's a few weeks off, but we'll deal with it. All right. Um, you know, I've seen people, um, I've got these shoes on. I bought these just before I went to Russia. Oh, I hope they don't wear shoes in heaven. Um, because in Russia, to preach, you have to wear black shoes. All right? And so, you know, brilliant me, uh, I think it was about four days before I left for Russia, I buy brand new shoes, and I have to walk all over England and all the rest of it, and by the time I got to Russia, I looked like a cripple. What's up? I'm preaching barefoot, all right? <laughs> Why? Jesus would have. Um, you know, I'll get, me, I'll get black marker and paint my feet black. But... <laughs> They're getting better now. But why? Because that's what they're into. Now, I would struggle with this. Uh, how do I get black shoes out of Scripture? But see, I see people saying, well, if a woman truly honors God, she'll wear a dress to church. Be careful about that one. Okay, because all the men at the writing of the New Testament, guess what they wore? And I ain't wearing one. <laughs> I don't care what it does with my eyes. <laughs> I ain't wearing one. <laughs> okay? And I've got some Scottish blood in me. And I still ain't wearing one. Alright? So, so there are what you could call the gray areas. You know, listen, let's be realistic. As Christians today, we have non-negotiables. Absolutely. I agree emphatically. Alright? But there are some things, you know, and I've heard people say, well, you can't listen to rock and roll, okay? And then you get in their car and they're listening to country and western. And I'm sitting there going, hey, excuse me? Something about the guy cheating his dog and left his beer or whatever? I don't know. Okay, and that's God glorifying, right? Uh, you know, people sometimes get in my car and say, well, you're listening to secular music. I said, yeah, I don't have to judge it. I don't have to screen it. Well, I know it's all lost. Okay, Christian radio, I'm afraid of because you listen to it for a while. All of a sudden, oh, my God, what did he say? What did she say? What's this? You know, and I've heard some Christian music that let's be realistic. Who are you singing to? Who are you singing about? Why are you doing it? All right. So so there are areas here that this is what this text is dealing with. All right. And he's almost summarizes it in verse 31 says, you know what? Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And that's what we've been looking at. The wisdom of our freedom is what we had to kind of deal with. And we dealt with that in verses 23 through 30. And I just summarize it quickly. Verse 23, we need to edify over gratify. Edify over gratify. Why? I need to be more concerned about strengthening others and or myself than gratification. Okay, because he makes the statement, and the one word that we probably didn't spend enough time on is there in verse 23, all, not all things are profitable. Okay, now listen, I'm not talking about the negatives. There are things God says don't do. But there are things that you and I will decide to do that have how much profit to it? Nothing. It's lawful, but what is its benefit? Okay. Does it have a benefit to it? If it doesn't have a benefit to it, and it's not going to strengthen me, or it's not going to strengthen somebody else, what should I do with it? Well, I'll tell you, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. You, you know, we have been given X amount of time. That is the most precious thing you own right now, is time. Okay? You know Why? How much time do you have? How much time do you have in escrow? Okay? And only what is done for the kingdom has any value to it. You know, I get, I get people say, well, you know, Terry, you, you ought to go take a vacation. You ought to go do that. And I said, well, we could, we, my family sort of takes vacations. Last year, me and Joshua, we went down to the Equip Conference, and they got a thing for the youth and all the rest of it. I said, well, go do something fun was fun. Sorry. You know, and some people say, well, let me hang out and party with him. 
I mean, all he ever wants to do is go from Bible study to Bible study to this to this. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Why? It's profitable. It has a benefit to it. Okay? Please grab a hold of that. I'm going to get a benefit out of it. Why? I may not. My son may. My wife may. My daughter may. I don't know. Well, it just doesn't seem... Well, here's the, here's the thing. I've got a wedding that I may be going to in the, in the July. And, and the guy is, is, was a man that I poured my life into for a few years. And now he's uh, working on church staff in a Christian school back in Washington, D.C. And we're trying to figure out whether we can do this. And, you know, I told my wife uh, that, you know, we, got, we had a couple of things going on. And she said, well, maybe you and Josh should, uh, you know, go back. The Smithsonian's free. All the monument things are free. Uh, so you can just cruise around and see that. I haven't seen the Vietnam Memorial. Uh, I grew up with that. Uh, I would like to see that myself. I've been to D.C. before. My youngest has not. And then I said, and I can go to Mark Dever's church. And I go, what? Yeah, it's Capitol Hill Baptist Church. It's Mark Dever's church, Southern Baptist guy. He's got elders. And I've had some dialogues with him. We're trying to get the Southern Baptists to say what the Bible says. It's just a bizarre place. And anyway, and I could go back there. And, you know, people says, wait a minute, you're going to Washington, D.C. You've got the Smithsonian and you've got all this stuff to see. And you're worried about this guy's church? Yeah, because I'm not going to just go back to Washington, D.C. and see a bunch of monuments. I see, I've read the end of my Bible. And them monuments just ain't going to be there. <laughs> I mean, they're really cool. I mean, I'm a Marine Corps brat, and every time I look at the, uh, the Marine Corps Memorial where the fag is Iwo Jima, I can see it on TV. It brings tears to my eyes. My dad was in Iwo. Okay? So I can look at that, and I just get, I even just talking about it, I get a little tear thing going on. I got to quit. All right? Why? But you know what? That thing ain't going to be in heaven. All right, so what is its profit? You know, I would like my children to see it, but, you know, I can turn the Discovery Channel on. If you get in the show, I might be able to see it. All right, but then he went on, he says, Others over self, verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. That's simple. Okay, can you do that? Go look in your closet, okay? And you look in your closet and you say, or your drawers or however you do it, you look in there and you say, how much in there is mine? And then, you know, I don't know what you got in your closet. I know what's got in my closet. And I, and I look in there and I said, now what about my neighbor? Because I work, I take care of myself. I got some guys down in Mississippi. I don't know if they, they, they feel sorry for me, but each year they send me a new suit. I thought I kind of like it myself, but they, every year they send me a suit, and I, I'm thinking it's kind of n- nice. I wish you'd get off the blue, guys. <laughs> I got enough blue suits to start some kind of cult. Uh, but, <laughs> well, that's, you know, I, and I know, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm complaining about something that you've given to me, but blue? <laughs> I know, it's my eyes. But anyway, it's stuff like that I want you guys to pay attention to. Are others more important than yourself? Are others more important than yourself? 25 through 27 is what I called liberty over legalism. Why? When it comes to the eternals, I see a lot of people will exalt traditions over the gospel. Okay? I'll give you two illustrations. The book of Romans, the book of Galatians. They're basically the same book. They deal with the same issues. One is 16 chapters and one is 6. Okay? Because in Rome, there wasn't a doctrinal concern about the gospel. They understood the gospel. And when you're on the same wavelength, you just kind of talk and you chit-chat back and forth and you got this big, long dialogue. When you have an issue with the gospel, Paul got mad about it. When he gets mad about it, you tend to speak very quickly, don't you? That's Galatians. All right? So... Romans is the gospel, and I'm happy that you guys are a part of it. Galatians is the gospel, and I'm ticked off that you've corrupted it. All right? That's the issue. Liberty over legalism. All right? I go to Russia. All the women wear dresses in church. You don't set your Bible down. Okay? That's disrespective to the Bible. 
Okay? You hold it or you set it on the pulpit while I was preaching. Uh, you do not show the sole of your shoe to another person. That's disrespectful. You don't drink in church when the worship service is going on. You do not chew gum. You don't do anything that would distract from glorifying God. Now, part of that, I'm almost saying, you know what? I don't think I got it figured out. <laughs> okay? But the other part of it is, is, come on, guys. We're getting a little bit cranky here, ain't we? All right, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? That is not going to corrupt my gospel. All right. <clears throat> Last week we looked at 28 to 30, offend over offending. Um, we have a tendency to, if a lost person draws us into a meal or a party time or something like this, um, and all of a sudden there's a Christian there, um, we have a tendency to offend the Christian before we would offend that person because we're going to reach that person. Paul says that's wrong. If you have a weak brother or sister who has walked into a a situation, this would be uh, an unbeliever's house and he finds out that the meat had been offered to to, to uh, an idol. Uh, This caused them to stumble. Why? They're coming out of it. Think about it. Man, just think about it. This is common sense. All right? People ask me, do you have a problem with drinking? I don't have a problem. (laughs) Drunks do. Okay, but here's the issue. If I'm sitting with a new child of God, brand spanking new, and you know, some kids, listen, I got it. That's not chronological. Please understand that. I know people who have come to salvation for years and years and years and are still infants in Christ. All right, and they were to look and to see a Christian drinking um, an, an alcoholic beverage. And they come out of alcoholism where it was their master. What you just do to them? Okay? Now then do it from the point of leadership. Okay? What if you're an elder? What if you're a pastor? And somebody says, well, you know, I'm a drunk and there's my pastor drinking and what? What if he's drinking a non-alcoholic beer? Okay, what'd you just do? See, that's the stuff that we have to pay attention to, brothers and sisters. Why? We claim that we have a love for one another. Okay? As long as you don't infringe on my freedom. Paul's dealing with the church and he's basically telling them, you know what? Don't let your freedom master you. I'm allowed to do this. I mean, I think about Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, smoked cigars and drank bourbon. They said he liked to have a shot of bourbon before each message. Good Lord. Okay? I, I can't imagine that. Okay? I mean, why does somebody want to come up and say hi to you? And you say hi back, and they go, dude, you are spirit-led. <laughs> Okay, but they said that one time he was getting ready and he had a, a, a little, his little glass sitting there and this little boy came in and says, how can you do that? My dad died of alcoholism and all the rest of it. You know what? He never did it anymore. Now, I don't know about the cigars, but um, I do know about that. And I thought, you know, and I read some of his sermons. I've never heard him preach, uh, but I have read some of his sermons. They're phenomenal. Okay, but also I knew he wrote them before he drank. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that's how he can pull it off. I, I don't know. Okay. You know, I told everybody, you see me taking a shot of whiskey, you better run for the hills because it is going to hit the fan. Uh, or it has hit the fan or something. I don't know. But he's sort of getting at, you know, uh, I, I, when uh, Harry Potter came out, everybody was like, well, that's witchcraft. I said, that's silly. I said, I grew up with the little green guy Yoda. I mean, what was that? You know, and they said, your son is reading Harry Potter. Yeah, you know, and he grabbed a broom out of my wife's closet and they tried to fly around on it. And he said, you know, this can't be true. And that was the end of it. <laughs> See what we're doing? We get a little bit, yo, brothers and sisters, come on. Listen, I have a freedom now that the world would give anything to own. It's my responsibility to share that freedom with every brother and sister I can get into. All right? With the lost people, I want to show them. And if it comes to making a Christian stumble or offending a lost person, I'm going to offend a lost person. Okay? But I'm going to take that child of God and I'm going to walk with them in such a way that they get to walk in the freedom that we already have. 
You know, we got all kinds of names for that now. We got small groups, mentoring, da 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 da. Jesus said, "Disciples, make disciples." Okay, you know, and I, I don't care what you call it. I am going to make disciples. That's my passion. And those of you who know me. All right. Now I'm going to quickly deal with 31 and 32. Dad, gone. That was just the introduction. All right. But we've already dealt with this. My first session out of here, I showed you what it was to be a reproach to God. All right. I need you to keep you in a historical perspective here because this letter, the more I've studied this letter, the more I've looked at this letter, this can be America. This can be America. Here's why, one of the reasons. Historically, the church in Corinth, the, the city of Corinth, okay, it's, it's about 50 miles, be a little bit southwest of Athens, and they had an isthmus. You know what an isthmus is? I had to learn that. It's not a peninsula. Peninsula has an end to it. An isthmus is just a little narrow spot, and then it gets wide again. Okay? Corinth set right on the isthmus. And if you were going to go from one sea to the next sea, you could either go around where you had the Aegean, I think it's the Aegean, and it would run into the Mediterranean, you get all kind of weird weather things out of there, and you was just doing one of crossing your fingers and hoping you could get around that thing. Or you could go to this isthmus, and there was a great industry in Corinth of literally taking the boat up out of the water, rolling it over the isthmus and putting it back in, and you'd be already in the Mediterranean Sea, and all you had to do was pay these guys money. But Corinth was literally set up by freed Roman slaves. Roman slaves who had either by gladiators or whatever reason from their master or whatever had been a slave to Rome and had been released and given their freedom, and they would get a chunk of land, a chunk of money, uh, uh, and they could start their business or a life in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was literally called a free city. Okay, And that's what the, the, the foundation of the city of Corinth was based on. Now grab that. Grab that. Because what is America set on? Our freedom. Ask yourself a question. Has your freedom corrupted your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay? That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with in this text. He says, yes, you're free. Not only are you free, you're more free than the city of Corinth. But has your freedom corrupted you? This church was struggling. It wasn't doctrinal struggles. It was a societal struggle. Why? They were taking their understanding of freedom. Not only am I free in Christ, I am also free in Corinth. So I am free. All right? To do whatever I feel like doing. So you have a freedom that was defined how? Grab this. When you think about your freedom in Christ, what is your definition of it? Is it biblically based freedom or is it American freedom? Okay. This church had a problem. Why? We looked at the first six chapters. First six chapters, Paul is just ticked off. Why? You have divisions. You have people walking around saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Silas. I'm of this. I'm of that. Personality cults. That's what Spiros Zodiates called it. Personality cults. What do we got in the church today? I'm of John MacArthur. I'm of Chuck Swindoll. I'm of whatever. Okay? I'm not even going to go to church no more. Why? I just think they're all hypocrites. You know what? I've been alive for 48 years. And I've never met a, a human being who ain't a hypocrite. Ever. Why? Society's a hypocrite. You don't believe me? Fill out an application for a new job. Okay? What do you tell them? I don't like getting up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I don't like overtime. I don't. You tell them that? Nah. What do you tell them? I'm the best thing since last bread. <laughs> Hire me now. Why? That's hypocrisy. I don't care what you call it. Why? I'm selling what? 
I'm selling myself. So let me tell you how awful I am. Right? That's stuff that we have to pay attention. Why? Your society impacts you. I mean, I listen to the politics now, and you almost believe that if you're a Republican, you're saved, and you're a Democrat, you're a pagan. Okay, I look at it and say, I ain't convinced that they ain't all pagans. And they're just using my God's name. And don't you worry, he's listening. Okay? So, do you see what I'm trying to get at here? What happens is that you get bombarded and bombarded and bombarded. And, And what will end up happening, you have individuals and they get carried away by what they have learned, what they've been exposed to, how they've reacted, what things that they've done and they shouldn't have done, they might have done, and you hear it all the time, you know? Well, you need to look in your past because the reason that you're this way is because of your past. Piece of cake, Adam sinned. All right, now I got that dealt with. What should I do now? It ain't complicated. I don't care if my great-grandfather was one of the best moonshiners in Kentucky. All right? I look at it and say, he had a talent and he used it. <laughs> I mean, he did. I mean, and I, you go, I can look at this and say, he did all the glory of God. <laughs> Let me give you a text. Because here's, we've been warned about this. And the letter to the uh, Colossians church was dealing with Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this higher form of thinking thing. And I want to look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, I'll start with. See, that, see to it that no one takes you captive. Okay? That's an interesting statement. Don't become a prisoner. Okay? Through what, Paul? Philosophy. You know what that is? You know what philosophy is? The love of wisdom. Did you know that you can be taken captive by the love of wisdom? See, now I never had to worry about that because studying it was not an issue with me. Okay? I just, I just was, I, go ahead, knock yourself out. All right? You know, my, pray for my youngest son. He has his dad's study habits. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody says, you know, that. I didn't get straight A's. I never even seen an A. <laughs> I didn't know that was the first letter in the alphabet. I thought D was. <laughs> Ain't D first? Anyway. With philosophy, the study of knowledge, do you get that? What is it, what is it today? You know, in the end times, Daniel said, you will know you're getting close because there will be an increase in what? Knowledge. knowledge. You know, in 1900, 1900, there's no such thing as an airplane. 1900. Okay, did you know that? You know, less than 100 years later, look what we're talking about doing. There's a company out of California right now who's taking reservations to take one of them things into the space. I mean, it costs you a quarter million dollars and you get like a 40-minute ride. And I'm thinking, there's a waste of money. But anyway, right? How quick did it? Is there an increase in knowledge? Ask yourself a question. Is there a love for knowledge today? Yes. Ask yourself this. Do you see those in the church who have been taken captive based on knowledge? Here's an issue. Okay. Why would any Christian even consider evolution? Okay. Why would I try to take that understanding and fit it in between verses 1 and 2? Of Genesis 1. I don't have that big a gap. I mean, you can't write a billion years in there. You know what else is bizarre? We can't find anything before 6,000 years, regardless of what they're saying. You can't find man's existence before 6,000 years. Which makes it what the Bible teaches. Kind of scary, isn't it? Well, but I'm convinced. Um, based on what? Based on what? Science? When I was growing up uh, in public school, only then did they begin to start teaching evolution and creation as a theory. Before I got into elementary school, it was only taught creation. 
Then they went and started teaching two. But here was the key that was being taught. It is a theory. Ask yourself today, is it taught as a theory? No, it's fact. But you know what? There's no evidence for it. There's a lot of speculation, but there's no evidence for it. But you know what? I can give you more evidence of a young earth through Scripture and looking at the thing than what science has. But you know what? Science has the little letters at the end of the guy's name. You know, PhD, QRM, I don't know what those all mean. They all have some kind of cool stuff to it. Which means he spent a lot of money for funding his college. <laughs> so is that wise? Anyway, here's what else happens. There's empty deception. According to the traditions of men. Did you know that? That's what he's saying. Men have traditions and they have what in their contents? They're empty. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Man's philosophy. What was happening to the church in Corinth? Man's philosophy, man's traditions were creeping in through the Christians... And they were trying to blend them together with the gospel and get a pure gospel? How about you? What philosophies... Listen, I watch people... And if I step on your toe right now, know that my feet hurt because of these shoes. All right? How many people have ever gone to buy something? I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to buy a house. Uh... Whatever it is you're going to buy, and you say, I'm going to pray about it. If God gives me the financing, then it is of God. What philosophy did you just use? God's or man's? Let me tell you something. If you get the loan, this guy's got a good credit. <laughs> you got a good job. Because, you know, I was going through this thing. I can't find where God bought anything on credit. Now, I'm not against you going out and financing anything. That's irrelevant. Don't let it master you. But I watch way too many people who take that philosophy, God must want me to have this because... Because some banks will give you the money? Really? Be real careful. So I want you to see this fits. This letter and the warning out of Colossians fits. Okay? Man's traditions are based on the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. I like that. You know what that means? Man's traditions is based on the baby talk of the world. How many of you have ever... uh, I'll ask Lanny and Allie. How much counsel do you take from Ethan? Huh? He's got her figured out, doesn't he? You see what I'm getting at? But what do we do? What do we do? Okay, go to the letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter, uh, pick a chapter. No, chapter 2. This is one of those that always gets me into trouble, but... What the heck? It's supposed to be a short message today. All right. Encouragement in Christ is what he's talking about. He's just gone through the deity of Christ and to live as Christ, to to die as gain. Uh, The gospel is preached. Some amazing stuff goes through this text here. And then he comes up with this verse 2, chapter 2, book of Philippians. Make my joy complete. Okay, I like that phrase. Paul, who founded the church in Philippi, says, Here, church in Philippi, I want you to make me happy. I want you to make my joy complete. I want my joy to be so encompassing that it just comes all the way back around in this side. It's a circle now. It started here. It was just joyous, 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 joyous. It went all the way around and did a loop, and I'm still just joyous. How am I going to do that? Being of the same mind. You know what that means? You're all thinking the same. All thinking the same. You know, I got in trouble in, in our denomination. I, I preached, well, they, last time I preached with them guys, we used to get together and they'd have one of us bring a message. And I brought a message and haven't been asked back. Um, I still love them, sort of. Um, 
Jesus really loves them. Anyway, <laughs> I made a statement during my message that there are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. Multiple applications, but not interpretations. And some of them got ticked off at me. Okay, actually a whole bunch of them got ticked off at me. But anyway, why? Because if it's, we're all of the same mind, how can I have multiple interpretations? It's impossible. Now, I know some guys who are too lazy to dig into the thing, and so they come up with a presupposition, and I can get a text that validates my presupposition. And I see that all over the place. I see it all over the place. But he says, I want you to be of the same mind. Why? Because that's where you'll maintain the same love. Why? The love of Christ has been poured in my hearts. Hasn't it? That's what Romans says. Chapter 5. It's been poured in your hearts by the Spirit of God. Well, how much of it's there? All of it. All of it. And yet, we'll teach in the church today, we, you need to set personal boundaries. Really? Where does that come from? What personal boundary did Jesus set up? Okay. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1 says, Be imitators of... Oh, back up one. Paul. Okay. You've got to go with Paul. Why? Because I can use the excuse, Hey, I ain't deity. So I can't be an imitator of Christ. Paul says, Be an imitator of me. Why? I am of Christ. See the difference? What happened there? We get our philosophy into it. Let me show you how this really works. You're going to be united but in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, I just look at the group that is here today, and I wonder how many purposes we have. All right? Why? How can I be intent on one purpose? Verse 3, do nothing. Okay, I like that. You know what it means? Nothing. How? From selfishness. Or, you can literally put conceit there because conceit is empty. You've you heard the statement, can't have a pity party, the only one that shows up is you. That's conceit. That's conceit. That's all it is. I, that's one of the things. Has anybody here trained their child to be selfish? No. Nobody, there, there isn't a selfish PhD you can get. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a child that wasn't? So what he's saying here, there's a key to. You can't do it. Why? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. See, Paul already looked at his life as dead. I've talked to people who hope Jesus doesn't come back because they haven't got to go to Cozumel. I'm trying to save up my you know, aluminum can so I can go to Cozumel. Then he can come back. What? But I've seen it. I, uh, I don't have my grandkids yet. Amen. All right, when I have my grandkids, I'm ready to go for Jesus to come back. Do you see what I'm getting at? What did you just do? What's important? My family. Really? That's the philosophy I'm trying to get you people to understand. This is brutal to me. Listen, here's the problem with this text. I've already been whipped like a red-headed stepchild for weeks on this. And I'm going to share. <laughs> My God loves me so much, He says, share with the people. Why? Because we buy this. We are, uh, we are so much like the Corinthian church. Empty conceit and humility of mind regard one. So let's ask yourself a question. What is the nature of America? Is it humility of mind? We've got a, a awards and hall of fames for everything. We give Grammys and Doves and Emmys and Oscars and, and, and for everything. Everything. You know, you're good at this, you're good at that, you did this, what about your time for this? You, uh, you know, <laughs> what happened to humility? Well, humility is not a human characteristic. Do not merely, look at verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also, 
I like that because he's saying, don't just can your personal interest. But he says, also include others. I like that. Because that's what he's dealing with. Now, listen, I'm setting a stage for you. Remember what I'm looking at? Why of our freedom? I'll show you this in a second. You, you guys are going to hate me, but that's fine. Okay? Drop on down in that text. Um, do you understand the context that I'm dealing with here? It comes out of 27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do you get that? Sometimes we'll pray, let me walk worthy of Christ. Okay? You drop on down, and then he, he lays out Christ, 6, 7, and 8. And he says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. How humiliating for God. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death where? On a cross. Do you understand that there is nothing more humiliating than death on a cross? You've got to understand that. Listen, I know you've seen the pictures and he's got the little loincloth and all that. That ain't true. That ain't true. You are humiliated and you are to be a spectacle was the reason for crucifixion. We want to set you on that cross butt naked, beat you stupid, and watch you slowly suffocate so nobody else will follow what you're saying. Okay? Now, I don't know about you. Is there anything more humiliating? Okay? Look at me. I am a sign. All right, so he gives you this reason, and then he says, you know, he exalted him above every name, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess. All right, then he comes back to us. Verse 12, so then, my beloved, just as you are always obeyed, not in my presence only, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you understand what he's saying there? You need to be sure about it. Why? Do you look a Christ life? Do I have Humility of mind? Do I do things out of selflessness? Okay, or do I do things because I'm waiting for an attaboy or someone to see me? Do I do, you know, I'm going to serve, you know, I'm going to clean the church as long as they put a plaque up that says, I clean the church for the month of whatever. Okay, I see that. I remember in our old building, we had pews and they had little signs on the side. This was, pew was given by somebody. Why? I mean, I'm not against that kind of stuff if somebody does. But listen, why are we like that? I fear that we feed the ego with that one. I know we feed the ego. So that's why he says with fear and trembling. Why? For me to die is gain. To live is Christ. Okay, then it gives the one that we all love to hear. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. <laughs> and I'm not even going to touch that. All right? So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked, perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Why? Because you should hold fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, you will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Okay, do you see what he's just, he just laid out there? That's massive stuff. He says, I want Christ seen in you. And you know what? I love you so much, I don't want to see you. I don't want to see your nature. I don't want to see your decisions. I don't want to see how you respond to things. I don't want to see the philosophy of men. I don't want to see man's wisdom. I want to see Christ in you. Period. I like that. Now here comes a kicker. Verse 19. I hope to send I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you shortly. Okay? I like that. That sounds good, right? So that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Why? Timothy, by the writing of this letter, Timothy's been with Paul for about 20 years, 18 to 20 years. Okay? So Timothy is I guess for best he's a clone. He's a clone. Look what verse 20 says. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. You ever think about that statement? I read that a few times and just kind of, uh, it kind of hurts, actually. 
Paul's got uh, 20, almost 30 years of ministry going on, and he says, I've got one who is of kindred spirit. How kindred? They all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. We sang a song this morning. Seek ye first what? My three-car garage. What? What? But you know his proven worth. What does that mean? His faith had works. And that he served me in furtherance of a gospel like a child serving his father. Oh, man. You guys who are coming on Wednesday night and we're studying 1 Timothy, does this freak you out or what? This is a genuine child of the faith, Paul says in that first letter. Do you know what that means? There's a whole bunch of them that ain't genuine. <laughs> but this one's genuine. This one's legit. All right? Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go for me. He's in prison getting ready to go before a judge and see what's going to happen. And I trust in the Lord that I myself may be coming. I'm hoping that this thing works out. But look at verse 25. I want you to see this too. I, but I thought it necessary because who brought this letter? It wasn't Timothy. He says, I want to send him. He said, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, who also is your messenger and minister of my needs. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because he had heard, because you had heard that he was sick. Epaphroditus had gotten ill, ill enough that they wrote the church where he ministered and said, we're not sure he's going to make it. And it said that the church began to what? Grieve over him. And he says, I'm coming back. And I'm going to send this letter with Epaphroditus to show you that the old boy's doing all right. But I want you to know something. He's a lot like Timothy. He's a good soldier, a good fellow in the faith. And it's obvious between your concern for him and his concern for you that we are bonded and he has a great care for you. Ask yourself, look around right now. How do you do with Christians? When you look around at Christians, can you do that? Can you say that? Do I have that overwhelming concern for the children of God? Do I grieve when a child of God grieves? Do I rejoice when a child of God rejoices? That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Why? Go back to your text. Verse 31, whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What I just gave you is God's counsel. You want to see God glorify, then you take his counsel and you can the rest. Because whatever I do, it's for the glory of God. I had the privilege to spend some time, some wonderful time, with a man named Dr. Stephen Olford. Um, I don't even know where to begin. But Stephen Olford is the one who took a young man in the English revivals. The guy was a preacher for uh, Campus Crusades, I think it's called. It was called then, now it's Youth for Christ or something like that. Anyway, he was a young preacher for the young people, and they were moving. A revival was happening in England, and uh, Stephen had gone and heard him and said, you know what, this guy's going to be good, but he's missing something. And he took him down in South Wales, and he spent several weeks with him explaining to him the Holy Spirit, that you can do this, and you can preach, and you can yell and scream, and you can be the best orator the world's ever seen, but without the moving of the Holy Spirit, you are useless. And by the end of the time of teaching and fellowship, uh, this man broke down and wept, begging God to pour his spirit on him and use him in his ministry. This is like in 52, 53, somewhere around there. Okay? They both went back up to London. They'd already told him that when you're speaking to young people, if you go more than 15 minutes, you lose their attention and it won't work no more. Whose philosophy is that? Okay? His first sermon back in... uh, where they do the, the clay courts in Wimbledon. 
First message back, he preached for an hour and 15 minutes, and the whole place literally blew up with the moving of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. From that point on, any time that that man was in trouble or any time that that man got into an area where Dr. Olford was, he would beg Dr. Olford to come and just pray for me as I get ready to preach. You know what that guy's name is? Billy Graham. Okay, I got to spend time with Dr. Olford. One of the things that always hit me, uh, Matt heard him preach. We went to Memphis and heard him preach. One of the things when he got done, he would pray. And then he'd cock his head this way and he'd point like this. And I asked him one time, how do you do that? He says, it's all him. It's all him. I was at his memorial. uh, It hasn't been a year, has it? And his oldest son got up and he made this statement from the pulpit. He says, I can't help thinking that the angelic host, when Dr. Stephen walked in, stood and applauded. And, I, you know, in this day and age, he has, he stayed the faith. And not only that, it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And he almost did an Elijah thing. He's here and then he wasn't. And he says, but understand that if the angelics did applaud him he would cock his head and he'd have went like this Um, few of us have heard him preach in in person and frail man he was 80 84 Um, when I had met him he'd just come out of cancer Um, cancer treatment Uh, lymphoma and uh Frail, you shook his hand, and you're like, oh, oh, I think I broke it. <laughs> okay, little bitty guy, Welsh guy, made me feel like I should be in the NBA. <laughs> he was, he was about that tall. Okay, but he was frail, wide headed. He'd walk up behind the pulpit. <sighs> and God began to speak with the power of God coming to this very little frail old man and here he was with the effects of chemotherapy and all the rest of it and he could preach for an hour hour and a half and never break a sweat then he'd get done and he'd walk off and just kind of walk like this and you just sit there and went okay whose philosophy he's furious at the church today I think it's part of the reason the Lord took him home. Why? He said, we don't preach with power. We don't preach with the... He called it the unction. It took me forever to figure out. I don't know, what? All right, but he's English. But the unction, what, is that good? I don't know. He says, but we don't preach with the unction anymore. And I said, okay. And then I went back to my room. And, unction, unction, what does that mean? Um, and, and I want you to understand that. You've got to grab a hold of that. I've heard people say, well, you can't preach a message longer than the butt can handle it. And I said, what? He says, if their butt gets tired, they'll quit listening. I said, i got news for you. If I'm dependent on the people, they ain't none of them going to hear it. The Apostle Paul says here, I am to do all things. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'll give you that same illustration. I had to preach in front of Stephen Olford and him critique me. I'm still in counseling over that. No. <laughs> he was going to critique me, and I was scared to death. And so stupid me, I said, I'm going first. Why? I want this over with. All right? And the young secretary, she, uh, sweetie, comes up to me. She says, Terry, it's all right. She says, every morning, every Sunday morning, every time you preach, every time you talk, you're preaching as unto Christ. I said, yeah, but you don't see Christ sitting there taking notes. <laughs> Do you understand that? I do all unto God. Why? He is glorified when we act on His wisdom. Never yours, never man's, never philosophy, never society. Please understand that. It will only come when you act on His. Right? 
But there's times he's just illogical, isn't he? I, look at what I'm doing. I know where I came from. Just a few months ago, I was preaching in England. I preached in a church that's older in America. <laughs> Some of the people were too. But it, uh, <laughs> I, I preached in Russia multiple times. A year ago, I was in Israel. Why? I know who I am. I know where I came from. I know the depravity that I am. Why me? Because it's his counsel. It's his counsel. I don't have anything. Listen, if you guys are asking me for advice, we're all in trouble. I cannot think of a Christian who would not want to glorify him. Can you? I mean, can you really? But yet I gotta ask yourself, I gotta ask you now. Do you or do you not follow his counsel? Because if you don't follow his counsel, guess what? I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you're doing. Look at verse 31. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. I like that. A lot of people say that the church is uh, the new Israel. Paul didn't think so. Paul said there was Jews, there was Greeks, and there was the church of God. How? What would be my purpose? I'm glorifying God. How? I am going to do it. I'm going to show you how tough this is, especially for we who are men. In a few weeks, they're going to do a precept training over at Franktown Community Church. Uh, Some of you, we've done precepts here in this church for years and years and years. We're sort of in a sabbatical thing here. And they give you instruction on how to study the Bible, basically. Okay, and it's, they call it inductive study. I, I hate to break the news to you. You learned it in the seventh grade. I did. I don't know. Maybe not in today's school. But I learned inductive study in, in the Bible because I had to learn it with Shakespeare. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. It gives you the principles on how to rightly divide this thing. To show yourself a worker approved. Okay? That's all it is. Yeah, it costs you a little money. And it depends on what level you're at. I mean, you want to do Greek word studies or whatever. It's not that big a deal. They're not giving you theology. They're not going to sit there and say, well, men are this and women can do this. And That ain't what it's about. It says, how do you take this book and use it to its fullest advantage? Okay? Talking to one of the guys that's involved over there. They've asked me to do a couple of things. But anyway, I talked to one of the guys over there, and I said, so how is your sign-up? He says, we're kind of shocked. And I said, really? He says, we've got over 150 people signed up to do it. I was like, whoa, really? And I said, and they're paying money? <laughs> I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah. And so we kept talking for a minute, and then it hit me. You know how I am. I'm slow. But it hit me. I said, Joey, how many of them are men? Got quiet. You know what he said? Five. I said, Joey, you're telling me in my community we're offering a class to help handle the scriptures. Because, see, I've read my Bible. My Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations. You know who that is, right? Pastors. Evangelists? No. If you're saved... Part of you should be desiring to make disciples. Which, if I'm not sure, and I could be wrong, entitles that I need to probably know what this thing is saying and how to use it. Correct? Five guys signed up to... But you don't understand, I'm supposed to work, I'm supposed to do this, and I'm take vacation, take sick days. I'll do it to do what? Just about anything else. Does it hurt your brain? You betcha. Set eight hours and have some people, bang, bang, you need to read it. And how would the five H's and all them other things that they like to go through? Yes, it hurts your brain. But let me ask you a question. What are you investing in? See, it's God's wisdom. 
It's God's wisdom. Why? He's already warned us. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, for our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate of the same spiritual food. They drank from the same spiritual rock. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. We laid them low in the wilderness. These things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave the evil things as they craved. You know how many he laid low in the wilderness? Estimations say there was a 1.5 million of them wandering around in the desert. My calculation is two didn't die in the wilderness. Let me tell you something, that's bad odds. I mean, we've studied that text. But you need to understand something. If Israel has been given to you and I as an example, don't do this. Ask yourself a question. Are you? Our Sunday school class, last week I taught on Haggai and how shortly they came out of Babylonian captivity, a redemption that they could not get a hold of themselves. And within five years, they had quit worrying about the things of God. Five years. Let me ask you a question. And I'm going to close with this question. How long have you known Jesus? Okay, now I'm not talking about some Sunday school VBS, even Billy Graham crusade thing. I'm talking about how long have you known Jesus? And what I mean, I'll use the biblical term, known, intimate relationship. Sort of like Cain knew his wife. How long have you had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? But now I have to ask you this. In that knowledge, do you glorify Him? How important is He in your life? How important is it, as Haggai says, compared to your job, to your home? How important is He to you when you're out in public? How about when you're gathered to worship? How important is it when your relationship between your husband and wife? And I don't care if one or both are not saved. How important is Jesus Christ? Because that's the issue that is here. Whatever I do, and it says, you know, even if I'm just eating and drinking, I mean, that's mundane. That hurt me. That right there hurt me. Why? How many times have I been driving down the road with my knee on the steering wheel and my quarter pounder with cheese and a drink trying to test everybody else's faith thinking, am I glorifying God in doing this? He says, even in the mundane things of life, do it to glorify God. Why? Because you have a wisdom in your freedom. And if I follow his counsel, I now have a why of my freedom. Let's pray. Father, we come to you because we we understand when Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. We understand that intellectually, Lord, but I beg you now that we understand it from our souls, from our hearts. Father, this is hard. Father, this is hard. Father, help us. Help us to walk worthy. Help us, as Timothy would in the church in Philippi could make Paul's joy complete. Help us be instruments to help other saints' joy be complete. Help us be of the same mind, Lord. Help us be of Christ in a way that is only supernatural. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us walk worthy. Help us desire the heavenlies. Help us focus upon your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us reach the lost. Help us to strengthen the weak. Help us to admonish the unruly. Help us to gather up the faint-hearted. Help us strengthen the faithless. Help us walk in humility. Help us... Help us. 
Father, even now, may we just give you the thanks for the amazing things you do. Father, I praise you for this holiday. I praise you for these veterans. I praise you for this precious church and what it means to me. But Father, you sent your son to die for her. Father, help me follow that. I may die for your bride. I love you, my king. May all these people fall more and more in love with you. May their souls yearn for the heavenlies. May their passions be counsel of the king. Father, don't let us be entrapped. Don't let us be deceived. And guard us to your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen.